Jacob. We are going to find today a description of the life of Jacob and the life of Laban. And it's going to be godly Jacob and ungodly Laban. Jacob's a godly man. Laban is an ungodly man. So how they live, how they make decisions, the way they behave, the things they say, it's all going to become very clear who loves God and, and who doesn't. Jacob, we've been reading about him for a bit. Jacob is the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Of course, he's also the son of Noah. He is the son of Adam. He is the latest member of this family that we're reading about. As God is tracing this story through the book of Genesis, as he means to, through one particular family, bring at one point a rescuer, a messiah, who will be to them, who has been to us, Jesus. He's going to come through this family and he's going to come through Jacob. And so we're reading about Jacob. Uh, And what we have here today is sort of Jacob's uh, watershed. Okay, It's going to be a fork in the road for Jacob. And we're going to see that God is going to use the, the circumstances that are in his life right now to grow him up a lot. Uh, the Jacob that you read about before these two chapters is very different than the Jacob that you read about in the chapters following. In fact, we're going to read and see and watch Jacob um, change right in front of us as God matures him into a godly man. And we're going to see a lot of the sins that he's committed. He's, made, he, he's committed a lot of sins. He's made a lot of mistakes. He is by no means perfect. Uh, but we're going to see that God, as he promises to do with all of his children, okay, he's going to grow him up in grace. He's going to mature him. And he's going to bring about a godly man before our eyes. So it's exciting. It's exciting to read how, how God uses this watershed in his life. Jacob left home 14 years ago. He traveled 550 miles from home to the land that he's in right now. And he came here for two reasons. One was to flee from his angry brother Esau, who wanted to kill him. And the second reason was to find a wife. So he came to this land. Uh, he has now found a wife, several of them, in fact. <laughs> he's found some wives, and he has lots of children. Okay, over a period of seven years, he, has, he had 12 children. God blessed him with ch- 12 children, and, and now he wants to go home. He wants to go home. He's been away from home long enough, and that's what gets us here to chapter 30, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. So Jacob goes to his father-in-law Laban, whom he has been working for for 14 years and simply says, I want to go home. I'd like your blessing. Can you release me from this yoke that you've got on me? Um, I I need to move on. Uh, Fourteen years I've been married. My parents don't even don't even know my family. Uh, I want to go home. I want my parents to meet their grandchildren and my wife and my other wife and my other wife and my other wife. I want to I want to see them. 
And we also learn in verse 30 that the other reason that he wants to get home is that he, he is unable, working for Laban, he's unable to provide for his family. So he needs a, a career change. Okay? And that's what he's saying to, to Laban. Okay, I've been working for you for 14 years. It's going great for you, and it's going really bad for me. And I'm not able to provide for my, uh, for my wife and the kids, and so I need to make a change. The income just isn't what it needs to be. Okay, this happens with men sometimes. Sometimes what you set out to do and have dreams of doing, it just doesn't work out the way you'd like it to. And the measure, okay, is does it provide for your family or not? If it doesn't provide for your family, then it's time to find a new, a new job, a new career. So he's very successful in what he's doing, even Jacob is, but it is just not providing for his family. So he's like, I need to, I need to leave. I need to start my own company. I need to start my own business. Okay, I'm working for you. I can go do this on my own back home. So Laban, will you release me so that I can get back home? Verse 27. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. So here's what's happening. Laban does not want to lose Jacob. Okay, Jacob is his, his goose that hatches golden eggs. Okay, business is booming because of Jacob. He's a good employee. And, and Laban has become a rich man since Jacob has been working for him. So Laban's response to Jacob wanting to go home is, hey, can we cut a deal? He puts it in Jacob's court. It says, name your wages. And there's something else interesting here because the Scriptures tell us that Laban learned that Jacob was successful, not just because he's a good, hard worker, which he is, but Laban learned that it's because Jacob's God loves him and favors him and is working through him. And, and, and that's true, and that's accurate information, but Laban found that out through divination. So he got accurate information, but the way that he got it was a sinful means of getting this information. Uh, here's what divination is, and the reason it's in here, and you're going to see a few things, is because Laban's tricky. Okay, Laban's tricky. Laban is the guy who talks the talk, and in a lot of ways, he looks like a Christian. Okay, so there's going to be some markers in the text to let you know, hey, listen, I know this guy says God a lot. Okay, and I know he's in church with you. And I know he's singing and he serves and he used to be a deacon and your kids love him and he's nice and jolly and he memorizes verses. Because you're going to see Laban's got, got a lot of that. I mean, he's got the bumper stickers. He's got the Lord is my shepherd wallpaper. He's got Thomas Kincaid paintings. I mean, he's got it all. He's playing, he's playing the part. And so we've got these indicators so that we know, listen, Laban does not love God. Laban does not love God. For one, here he is, he got information through divination. Here's what divination is, and it's prohibited by God later in Deuteronomy chapter 18. God says, do not, do not do this. It is the God, and this is interesting because, because we think, when we hear a word like divination, we think, oh, that's, you know, creepy, uh, culty. Um, I don't do that. We don't do that. But it's interesting when you hear the definition. 
It is the God-prohibited seeking of knowledge through the interpretation of signs and omens. It means you start living your life and, uh, and making decisions and drawing conclusions about God based on signs that you see. And some people are like this. Well, I pray, I put God to the test, right? And I pray, God, if you want me to do this, do this. And it happened, and so that was God's way of... That's called divination. We're not supposed to live our life like that. We're supposed to... Uh, how do you know what to do? And how do you know what the will of God is? And how do you know the decision to make? Well, you honor the Lord, and you live a holy life, so you'll be able to discern what the will of God is. And then you read what the will of God is. You read what he wants you to do. And if it's not in here specifically, like do I work at McDonald's or do I work at Taco Bell? And you're like, I don't have a verse. So if I see a taco in the sky today, that means that's not the way you go. Then you just apply biblical principles and you'll find out that, well, okay, uh, God doesn't really care. (laughs) Honor God and, and make a decision, right? And we don't have to spiritualize it. Honor God. If you work at Taco Bell, honor God at Taco Bell. If you work at McDonald's, honor God at McDonald's. But no divination. I remember this when I was a kid. Lord, if the Lakers win tonight, I will know that you want me to and then have some ridiculous thing. There's a lot riding on the Lakers. <laughs> or you hear a young man say who's looking for a wife, he sees a beautiful woman. Okay, if she, she looked at me. They never look at me. And if she looks at me again, I will know. God, have her look at me again. <laughs> that is divination. That's divination. Looking for signs and omens and interpreting God. So this is what Laban has done. Okay, he's gotten some accurate information, but the way he's gotten it is not good. His method is sinful. Why? Because Laban is a sinful guy. So Laban is trying to cut another deal with Jacob. He wants Jacob to stick around. Now here's a, something to see. And it's why does Laban want Jacob to stick around? Uh, why doesn't Laban want Jacob to go 550 miles from him? And the answer is not he would miss his daughters and his grandchildren. That's not Laban's concern. Right? More insight into who this guy is. His concern is the bottom line. It's money. It's success. It's, it's power. Jacob equals money. If Jacob leaves... I don't have money. He doesn't care about his daughters. He doesn't care about his grandkids. We're going to see that. It's the bottom line. That's his God, and that's what he's concerned with. So he puts the ball in Jacob's court and says, hey, can we, can we cut a deal? You know, if you leave now, you know, this is the argument. If you leave now, you'll have nothing. You know, he hasn't been paying Jacob for 14 years. You're not going to have anything. So, so why leave empty-handed? That's the argument for him. Hey, if you want to leave, fine. Why don't you wait a while? Work for me a little bit longer. Okay, keep working for me. We'll see how it goes. I'll give, you, I'll give you a raise so that you can provide for your family. Okay, Christians need to be careful not to be naive. Okay, we need to not be naive. And just because somebody says one thing, that doesn't mean they mean what they say. We have to look beyond that. We have to judge fruit. We have to listen to all the words. We have to draw conclusions. We have to be wise. We have to be shrewd. Well, he told me he was going to do it. Well, he told me he loved me. Well, he told me he would do this. Well, he told me he'd stay around. Well, be careful. Be careful we're not naive, right? People often, we all know this, have ulterior motives. 
Laban has an ulterior motive. Okay? He's not looking out for Jacob and his kids. He's looking out for number one. So Jacob, though, we're going to see he's, he's, he's not he's not naive. Here's the here's the deal. Verse 29. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? See, that's the rub for Jacob. I need to provide for my family. Verse 31, he said, Laban did, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. Okay, he doesn't want a handout. Okay, he wants to work for it. And here's what Jacob says. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep. That's a tongue twister. And I had a really hard time with that first hour. So you're going to hear some strange words come out as I try to say that over. It's brutal over and over again. We've got to say that phrase. Um, so I'm going to take from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. And Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. So Jacob says this. I'll continue to work for you, Laban. If I get to keep all of the speckled and spotted sheep and all the speckled and spotted goats, and all the little baby black lambs. Okay, if I get to keep those, then I'll stay and I'll keep working for you. And here's the pitch, right? That's a good deal. That's a good deal, Laban, because those are rare. Okay, you look out of your flock right now. I know your flock, they're, 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 more, they're more rare. Okay, that gene is not common. So there's not a lot of speckled and spotted sheep. So you're going you're gonna to get out of this deal okay. It's like he's saying this, okay, Laban, you own a Chevy lot. Okay, Laban owns a Chevy lot. And Jacob says, I'll work for you if I get to keep the money that comes from all the Fords that we sell. And Laban's like, all right, it's a Chevy lot. We don't get a lot of Fords. That's fine. The other reason it's beneficial is, is because it's distinguishable. So then you can come later, Laban, and there's no arguing over whose sheep or whose and whose goats or whose because it's going to be easy to, easy to, to mark them. So that's his pitch to Laban. What do you think? And, and Laban says, good! Exclamation point, right, in your Bible. Good sounds like a deal. And we're going to find out why he's so agreeable. Because Laban has plans to screw over Jacob again. He's got a plan. Okay, Laban and Jacob are tricksters. They are deceivers. These guys are the, and there's going to be like a competition here. They're going toe to toe. These guys are con men and they are, they are both superb at their craft. They are very good at what they do. They can trick people. They can deceive people. They can make you think one thing. They can manipulate people. The wheels are always turning. They've always got a plan. And Jacob is actually a little bit better than Laban at it, which Laban is about to learn. Jacob remembers the quiet guy, the quiet guy. 
Okay, he's that neighbor. He's just always quiet and never said much. That's Jacob. He's not quiet because he's dumb. He's quiet because the wheels are always turning. <laughs> you know people like this. And Jacob knows what you're thinking and he knows what your plan is and he's a couple steps ahead. So listen to what Laban does. Right? First, he agrees and says, great, sounds like a plan. And then verse 35, but that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Laban is a greasy dirt bag. <laughs> he is. This is terrible. Oh, sounds like a great plan. Deal. Oh, I love you, son. I'm so glad you and the girls are sticking around. You get all the speckled and spotted sheep. Sounds great. And then he secretly sends out his boys and says, round up every speckled and spotted sheep in my flock. And I want you to take them three days journey from here. And I'll give Jacob the rest. So Jacob's back to being a slave again. Now, here's the thing. Here's why he's the greasy dirt bag. Who's he robbing? Is it, is it just Jacob, his son-in-law? No, he is cheating his girls and his grandchildren. He's robbing them. Jacob's just trying to provide for his family. And Laban is making that increasingly, increasingly difficult. Verse 37 Okay, what you're about to read is really weird. And this is like the twilight zone in your Bible. And if you've been, you know, I know I've talked to some of you and you read it this week. You're like, I can't wait to hear uh, your take on this. And you're going to probably be really disappointed today because I do not have any... Um, any insight into the, 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 the wonders of breeding manipulation, which is what we're going to read about here. So this, is, this, is, this, is very, this is very strange. Verse 37, okay, Jacob is going to one-up Laban. Laban thinks that he's got Jacob in the palm of his hand, uh, but Jacob's got a plan. It's a weird plan. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, right? Of course he did. And peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. Just what I would do. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs. That is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So if you've got that figured out. And dialed in, I want to have a conversation with you following service. We don't know exactly what's going on here. The ESV commentary says this, and I think it's good. These sticks, which have peeled white streaks in them, correspond to the genetic makeup of the flocks, producing animals that are striped, speckled, and spotted. That is clear. However, the text should not be understood to imply any causal relationship between the sticks and the newborn animals, right? This isn't some kind of witchcraft. This isn't some kind of uh, magic trick. But apparently, 
Jacob has, we're going to find out later from the Lord, he has some insight into how to manipulate the breeding process with these goats and sheep. And apparently, sheep and goats with the spotted gene uh, like to mate in front of sticks. <laughs> with stripes. And so you can have a sheep. It's not, it's not spockled. It's, it's not spotted and speckled. It, it doesn't have that, but the gene is in there. Okay, and so you can identify because they're the ones who like to breed in front of the sticks with the stripes on them. And so if they do that with the sticks, you, you, you might just end up with some offspring that's spotted or speckled. Right? I told you, it's really, it's really strange. Don't go trying this with your cats or your dogs or anything like that. <laughs> Verse, like, son, put those sticks away. There I was. <laughs> there I was. Uh, wrong chapter, I'm sorry. Uh, chapter 30, verse 40. And Jacob, here's part two of his plan. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. Right? Uh, time to get the sticks out again. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. You see what he's doing? So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. So here's what he does. Once he's got some um, spotted and speckled sheep and goats, now he starts uh, breeding them with the strongest members of the flock. Hey, and, and, and then the other ones who are not speckled and spotted, you do not have the gene, over time, he does this for six years, over time what happens is Laban ends up with a smaller flock and a weaker flock, and Jacob ends up with an enormous flock and a much stronger flock. Right? Jacob's like, ding! Score, Laban, one, Jacob, one. All right, he won Upsom. He's got a plan that goes beyond Laban's plan. And then verse 43, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Six years have gone by. If you have the NIV, the verse 43, where in the ESV it says increased greatly. The NIV says he grew exceedingly prosperous, which has made this a very popular verse for what is called the prosperity gospel. So we need to make sure that we understand what's happening here. Okay, the prosperity gospel says that uh, you love God and you follow God and you serve God and your motivation in doing that is that he wants to physically and materially bless you. And God is really a means to the physical and the material blessing. And so the great reward is that the great reward is not God. And the truth is that that is n not true. Okay, the, the gospel is actually more of a gospel of suffering than it is of prosperity. There is a life that we will all end up in as believers in a new heavens and a new earth where we will certainly prosper in every way imaginable. But in this lifetime, in this lifetime, maybe, maybe not. 
But there is one thing you can count on. It's not prosperity, Christian. It's actually what? It's suffering. It's suffering. That's what you're assured of. So there's a teaching that is wrong. And this verse is quoted to say, See, Jacob, you see, he loved God and he had enough what? Faith. Faith. And he had enough faith so that he could start naming stuff and claiming stuff. And God made him prosperous, right? Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. And if you have the right amount of faith and the right kind of faith and you say the right things, God will give you what you want. He's like a button that you push and the candy drops out. That is not, that is not what's happening here. Jacob is a godly man. He loves God. And he's also a smart man who's been working well, working hard. And his life at this point is going well for him. Period. He's a blessed man. And you know what? When he wasn't prosperous, he was a blessed man. And when he will go through hard times, he is a blessed man. And when it's going well physically and materially, he's a blessed man. The same is true for you. When it is going well for you circumstantially, Christian, you're loved and blessed by God. When it is going terribly for you, circumstantially and providentially, you're blessed by God. God loves you. So this is where Jacob is. It's going well for him. Which brings us to chapter 31. Chapter 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So here Jacob is. It is going well for him. No thanks to Laban. No thanks to Laban. Laban has been robbing Jacob. Laban has been working against Jacob for these six years. We're going to find out he's changed his pay ten times. He's jerked him around, made promises and not fulfilled them. As well, he squandered his daughter's inheritance. He squandered his grandchildren's inheritance. And so finally, Jacob's just done. He's had enough. And God comes to him and and tells him the same thing. Okay, Jacob's been working hard for 20 years, been patient for 20 years, did much more than anyone would have expected of him. And he's finally to the end of his rope. And in fact, God comes to him and says, okay, it's time for you to pack up. Okay, this is no longer going to go well for you here. You need to pack up. You need to set out. And I want you to return home. So Jacob's on the run again, which is a familiar thing for Jacob. Okay. Remember, before it was his brother Esau. His brother Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And so Esau was chasing him. His mom said, you should leave. So he ran. He fled on his way to where he is now. That's when he got converted. God came to him. God made promises to him, began a relationship with him. And now he's been walking with God for 20 years. And now God comes to him and says, okay, it's time for you to run again. Okay, somebody wants to kill you again. Someone is after you again. This is a, is a, is a rough family for Jacob. First it was his brother. Now it's his father-in-law. Okay, but before he heads out of town, this is going to be verses 4 through 13 that we're going to read. 
but before he heads out of town, right, Jacob has a family that he needs to take with him. He has wives, he has children. And so before he heads out, he needs to sit down and he needs to discuss this with his wives. This is a great example that we're going to read here. Jacob is not a chauvinist. He, he doesn't say, hey, wives, uh, it's time to go. Pack up. We're out of here. Don't ask any questions. Okay, I'm the head of this home. Okay, I'm the leader of this house. I don't need to explain myself to you. All right, pack up the kids and let's go. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. As First Peter 3 calls husbands, he's living with his wives in an understanding way. He's considerate of his wives. He wants their input. He wants to carry their conscience. He wants them to know why he's making the decision that he's making. And so he needs to sit down with them, right? He needs to have a, a face-to-face, to face-to-face, to face with them. And they need to, right, honeys, come here, honeys. I need to talk to you. Okay, and I need to talk. To, and what is he going to, he's going to have a very difficult conversation because the point of his conversation, the first point is, your dad's a dirtbag. That's what he needs to sit down and, and tell his wives. I know you love your dad. I know you respect your dad. I know you want to honor your dad. I know he's special to you. I know he holds a great place in your heart. I know he's done some good things. I know you think he's all that. Okay, he's not. He's a dirtbag. That's a hard conversation. That is a hard conversation to have with two women who who love their dad. But this is what he seeks out to do here. So let's let's read this. I'll I'll read it all in a a sweep here. Just verses 4 through 13. So he's going to explain to his wives uh, his reason for leaving. It sounds so strange, right? His wives. I mean, it's tough sometimes, man, right, to convince one wife that, that what you're doing is a good thing. He's got... Multiple wives. He's got to convince. Let's see if he works. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. Now, that's kind of a funny statement because that means that everything that Laban has been doing so far is favorable to Jacob. This is really, really a bad relationship. But the God of my father has been with me. Okay, Jacob's going to talk to God a lot. He's going to teach his wives about the faithfulness of God and the faithlessness of their dad. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So this is what he says. He says, listen to his wives. I've I've been serving your dad faithfully for 20 years. Trying to provide for you, trying to provide for the kids. And your dad has cheated us. 
I know you love your dad. I know you respect your dad. I know you want to honor your dad, he's saying. But you need to see your dad for who he is. I want to speak well of him. been patiently enduring this for 20 years. But enough is enough. You need to see your dad without the blinders on. Your dad is crooked. And he doesn't love you the way he should love you. He doesn't provide for you the way that he should provide for you. He doesn't protect you the way that he should protect you. And so I want to take you away from him, never to see him again. Jacob is becoming a very godly man. Who loves his wives, who who loves his kids, who loves his family. The first point that he makes very clearly to his, his wives is that, listen, your dad is faithless. He said he's going to do things. He doesn't do them. He, 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 he sets his word on something. He doesn't, doesn't follow through. Makes, makes all these promises. Just blah, blah, blah. And he never follows through with anything. And we're in this tough situation right now. The kids are skinny because of your dad. This is not okay. Your dad is faithless. But that's not the only thing he tells them, is it? But God is faithful. Jacob could have at this point, and he does not, he could have said, okay, listen, your dad's a dirtbag, and all husbands are tempted to do this. But I want you to see that I have worked hard, and I have been faithful, and I've gotten us to the point where we are now, and so follow me. That's not what he says, does he? Does he sing his own praises? He does not. He said, God promised me 20 years ago that he would be with me, and for 20 years he's been with me. Because the girls could look and say, you're overreacting. You're exaggerating. It's not that bad. We're wealthier than we've ever been. We're prosperous. We're successful. Uh, things are going better. We just turned the corner. Uh, you're, you're seeing things wrongly. And he, he had every opportunity, didn't he? To say, well, that's because of me. I've worked hard. I'm smarter than your dad. Okay, I out-deceived him. I tricked him. But he gives all praise to God. All glory to God. So he's setting the focus of his wives on the Lord. He's basically giving them a a sermon. Now, Jacob has had his ups and downs. Friends, it is never too late to honor God. It is never too late to honor God. He's been growing and maturing. He's committed some grievous sins. But he's doing well by God's grace right now. He's doing well. It's never too late to honor God. So he tells his wives, listen, God's made it clear. We need to pack up and we need to get out of here. So let's go. But he's considerate. He's kind. He draws them in. Let's read their reaction. Chapter 31, verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So they're seeing things clearly now, aren't they? Okay, they, they, they trust their husband. They believe their husband. And when he comes and he's considerate and kind and lays this out and says, listen, we've got to go, but I want you to know why we've got to go. You need to understand who your dad is and you need to understand who God is. 
You need to understand, and everyone needs to understand this. You need to understand who your earthly father is and who your heavenly father is. Whether you've got a great earthly father or a terrible earthly father, you need to see him appropriately and truthfully and know that he is not and never will be God. And he's not your ultimate provider. And he's not your ultimate protector. And he's not your ultimate encourager. He cannot save you. He cannot redeem you. He cannot always be there for you. But your heavenly father can. And so he lays down these poor girls who've got a terrible, terrible, wicked and sinful dad and points them to their heavenly father. It's good. And they're seeing things clearly. You know what, honey? You're right. You're right. Our dad's not what we thought he was. He hasn't done what he said he would do. Our earthly father, he is a lousy father. And you're right, our heavenly father is a good father. Let's follow him. And so Jacob lays out his case for their consideration. He demonstrates to his wives that he is considerate and prayerful, which has now won them over. So these women go from being naive about their dad to seeing the truth of who he is. Laban, their father, has squandered their inheritance. Okay, money that was supposed to be for them and for their good and for his kids' good, for his grandkids' good. Right, he squandered that. Proverbs 19.14 says that houses and wealth come from parents. What that means is that moms and dads, especially dads, when they're looking to provide for their family, are not just looking to provide for their family for the next 20 years. They're thinking about laying a foundation and providing for their family physically and spiritually if the Lord would tarry for generations. Okay, dads aren't just supposed to be thinking about their kids, but their grandkids, their great grandkids. So what am I doing today? And what are the decisions that I'm making today? And how am I providing for my family today? And how am I leading my family today that's going to impact in a good way my great, 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 great grandchildren? That's how parents are supposed to think. That's how dads are supposed to think. Laban is not that dad. He is not that dad. He could give a rip about his family. He's concerned with the bottom line. He's concerned with, number one, how can I squeeze as much as I possibly can out of my family so that I have everything that I want? Right? He's the guy with the bumper sticker that says, uh, I'm out busy spending my child's what? Inheritance. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. That is not godly. That is not godly. That does not honor the Lord. What is godly is not to ask, how can all of these resources that I have terminate on me, but how can they be used for the good of God's kingdom, especially those as God has put most closely to me? How can I provide? How can I love them? And Jacob's saying to his wives, to his family, we've got to get up. We've got to get out of here because we can't do what we need to do here. It is time to leave. Some of you have extended family that you need to draw near to, and some of you have extended family that you need to distance yourself from. These are really hard decisions. 
I mean, no, make no mistake, when Jacob picks up this family, he's taking them 550 miles away from grandpa. He's taking them away from dad. But there's some grandpas that you want your kids next to, and there's some grandpas you don't want your kids ever to be around. That is totally sad. And it should not be that way. And there may even be efforts made to reconcile that or to undo that. But if not, there are times to say, for the good of my family, there needs to be distance. Where you have hard conversations with somebody and say, listen, I love you. I really want to honor you. Never going to stop praying for you. Hope the best for you. But you are so bad for my wife and kids. And I love them. And I've got to think about them first. And this breaks my heart to do this. But until you change, you're never going to see them again. It's not because I don't love you. Because I love God. And I love them. And I'm not going to be held accountable for how I deal with you as much as I'm going to be held accountable for how I deal with them. And I'm here to do what's best for them, not what's best for you. And sometimes distance needs to be put. If you're not going to honor us and you're not going to honor our family and if you're not going to listen to us and if you're going to disregard the requests that we make or the rules that we lay down and you're going to treat our children this way or treat my wife this way, then you will not, you will not be a part of our life. You will not be a part of our life. Sometimes the best way you honor your parents is to do that. Really hard. Oh my gosh, really hard. But sometimes it needs to be done. This is what Jacob, this is the conversation that he just had with his wives. I'm sorry, honey, your dad is a crook. And he's poisonous to this family. And God is good. And he's telling us to get out of here. And I'm inclined to listen. So he says, pack up. And this is great. This is great. This is a complimentary relationship. At the end of verse 16, what, is his, what do his wives say? Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. This is great. This is God honoring, right? Husband comes, doesn't just say, hey, pack up, shut up and pack up. We're out of here. We got places to be. I don't want to hear from, I don't want to hear from you. Let's just go. He doesn't do that. He's considerate. He sits them down. He makes his case. He tells them about the Lord. And then what do they do? They say, we've got no reason to argue with you. We love God. We'll serve God. God has been good to us. Whatever God, this is what every man wants to hear his wife say. Whatever God tells you to do, do. I'm behind you. A hundred percent. These are helpers suitable. (laughs) Twice the help. Four times the help, I guess. He's got helpers suitable here. I said, hey, listen, whatever the Lord tells you to do, he's won him over. This is great. This is a really good picture of a godly a godly marriage. Yeah, we'll get to the polygamy thing. Verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. We'll come back to verse 19. And Jacob tricked, his word again, They're all tricksters. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So Laban goes out of town for a few days. 
I know nothing about shearing sheep, but apparently it takes a while. You've got to go find him. So he's got his mobile shearing service. So he's out shearing the sheep. Now he's away. He's going to be gone for a few days. Jacob seizes the opportunity. Okay, I know we need to get out of here. Now's our chance. Let's, let's run. Now he's definitely being wise. Some commentators think he's being cowardly here. And he may be. He may be. Uh, Jacob has appeared to, to, to be a guy that does not like confrontation. Okay, he has avoided quite a bit of confrontation. Right, He's the quiet guy. Okay, he'd rather not interact face to face. Where's the back door? Oh, there he goes. That's how Jacob has operated up to this point. And I only bring that up because that is going to change. We're going to see another milestone in Jacob's life where he's going to go from being a coward to being courageous in just a, a few more verses. But either way, he packs up his family, says, okay, uh, we're out of here. And he, he heads out of town. Uh, Laban is shearing a sheep. Jacob seizes the opportunity and and packs up. Let's look look back at verse 19 because this is going to come up again. Uh, Laban had gone to shear a sheep, right? And this really weird verse that we're going to track through the text. And Rachel stole her father's household gods. And we're going to learn in a little bit that this is unbeknownst to Jacob. Right, Jacob doesn't know that she did this because when Laban comes looking for him, he's going to say, I don't have your gods. If anybody took them, we'll kill them. Like, well, your wife took them, so you probably shouldn't say that. Shh. So he doesn't know that this has happened, but, but Rachel broke into her dad's house and stole all of his little precious moments figurines, right? I know you got them, your little holy hardware you've got and bow down to. So that's what he's got. Uh, here's what these were. This isn't really popular today, right? We don't have, we don't read this and go like, oh yeah, his household gods. Uh huh. We don't have this per se, but household gods in this culture would have been, uh, literally like these little small figures that would have depicted foreign gods. Okay, little, like bobbleheads. There's these little, little figurines that you'd have throughout your home and they would represent the, the any one of the myriad of, of foreign uh, false gods that you worship. And so you'd have them on the fireplace mantle, right? You know, on the dashboard, wherever you'd have them. And, and these would represent, you'd pray to them, okay? It'd be kind of like good luck, uh, uh, good fortune. And you would, you'd, you'd invest your money to buy them, really nice ones. You haven't played it in gold or bronze, whatever, okay? So Laban, right? Here's another sign, okay? The divination, the household gods, okay? He may talk, God talk. He's not a good guy. It does not love God, does not serve the God of Jacob. So Rachel breaks in and she steals all of these household gods. Now we read that and we go, that's so silly. Who would ever have a bunch of little household gods? What, what silly, primitive idolatry, right? We have clearly evolved into a much more uh, um, holy species than this day, right? So let's talk about our version. Of the household gods. Because the truth is, we, we are an idolatrous people. We are an idolatrous people. Okay, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Uh, one of the things that it means to be a sinner, John Calvin says that the heart is an idol factory. The heart's just pumping them out. I need another idol, need another idol, need another idol. We have little gods. Okay, you, your God, okay, lowercase g, your God is whatever it is that you love and must have. 
You must have this. You have things like that in your life. Things that you love too much that aren't God. Things that you must have when really the only thing that you need is God. But you have other things that you need. And you get angry when people take them from you. There are things that we, we worship. We worship by... How do you worship? Well, you worship by investing your, your time. Uh, you invest your thoughts. What do you think about incessantly? What do you, what do, you do? How do, you spend your, how do you spend your money? How do you use your resources? What takes up the bulk of your time? We all have these false gods that we worship. Sports. It can be sports. It can be work. It can be church. It can be relationships. It can be approval. Some of you, your idol is approval. Okay, you make decisions and live your life just to get the approval of other people. Some of you, it's power and success, whatever you got to do to have success. And if you're not successful, you're not happy. You don't sleep well. Why? Because you have to have it. Hey, maybe it's money like it is for Laban. Comfort. Comfort. I just want to be comfortable. I'll do whatever I need to do. Avoid confrontation. Lie, cheat, steal. Dishonor God. Whatever I need to do to stay comfortable. Okay, these are all puny gods. They're all puny gods. Things we love too much. Things we crave too much. Things that we're after too much. So Rachel breaks in to her dad's house and she takes all of his household gods, right? She pulls the the fishing trophy off the wall. She, she takes the first buck that's enshrined in the frame. You know, she takes this, these things with her. Uh, at, at be- we don't know. It doesn't tell us why she does it. At best, she wants her dad to stop worshiping false gods and wants him to worship the true God. I hope that's what she's doing. Either way, she takes these, these false gods. Now, here, here's a good point. If your God can be stolen... Let that set it. That is not very impressive. Okay? If your God could... That's, that's not the point of the sermon, but that's one of them. If your God could be stolen, that is not very impressive. Verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So Laban gets word, he's hot. He's hot. And he sets out, he's, he's gone ten days now to catch up with Jacob. And this is really cool, but the night before he catches up with Jacob, God comes to him and says, Back off. Back off. If you'll remember, God has done this before with his patriarchs. He's gone to their enemies and he's told them, back off. What a thought. You know, we've talked about this before. We know the suffering that comes our way. We know the difficulty that comes our way. We know the trials that come our way that clearly God is allowed to come through. But we have no idea what he's protected us from. We pay all attention to things that he's let through. And we've paid no attention to the thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. How much has he turned away? Do you and I really know how much worse our life could be right now? And do we know why it's not much more worse? Because of God's love and his favor and protection. Well, you don't love me because you let this through. That's how we're prone to whine, isn't it? Rather than even thinking about what God protects us from. 
I wonder if God has done this. I wonder if God has come to my enemies before. Those who were against me and against my family and in some way said, back off. What a thought. So God loves Jacob. He intervenes for him, intervenes for his family. As Derek Kidner said, the hand of God is again decisive, right? Things are going well for Jacob because of God. Okay, if God doesn't do this, Laban the next day kills Jacob. I mean, that is what Laban is setting out to do. Okay, he tried to keep him as long as he could, squeeze as much as he could out of Jacob. Once the game is up, he wants to, he wants to end him. He's hotly pursuing him. Verse 25. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched his tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? So he's not going to harm, we're going to see, he's not going to hurt Jacob because he's freaked out, because God came to him, but he's going to whine and complain. That's what he's going to do. Not going to hurt him, but he's going to whine and complain. Why did you flee secretly and trick me, verse 27, and did not tell me, and listen to this, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. Come on, Laban, right? Is that really what's going on? Does he have a bunch of party favors stuffed in the camel back here? There's a pony for Dinah behind him. Farewell banner tucked in his pocket. Man, I just really wanted to send you guys off, right? If you're going to go, let me do that. No, he's got a gun. He has a gun with Jacob's name on it. Verse 29. We, out of the mouth, uh, overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is in my power to do you harm. There's his motive. There's what he's after. But he's not going to hurt him. Why isn't he going to hurt him? He's going to explain that. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful to not say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God said, don't even... Don't even talk to Jacob wrong. Not only don't do anything to him, don't you even talk bad to my boy. Or I'll get you. Verse 30. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. Oh, here they come up again. But why did you steal my gods? Okay, not worried about his daughters, his grandchildren. What does he tack on at the end of his little rant here? And by the way, hey, I went home and I'm, this is the humor again. I was looking for my gods. <laughs> and I couldn't find them. I'm assuming you stole them. Why? He's hurt over this. I mean, my daughters and grands, one thing, but my gods? Really? <laughs> Give them back. Verse 31 Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. That's right. That's why you snuck out of town. Then he addresses the gods. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live in the presence of our kinsmen. Point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know, obviously, right, that Rachel had stolen them. Okay, so now this is hilarious. He goes on a scavenger hunt. You ever been on a scavenger hunt? 
He's going to go on a scavenger hunt. But this is what's fun. What is he looking for? His gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants. Where are my gods? Like, where's Walter? Like, where are my gods? Where are they? You picture Jacob like cold, cold, warmer, warmer, hot, hot. He's trying to find his gods. This gets this gets wild. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Who stole the gods? Rachel. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. That's a very funny verse. (laughs) He let it out. That's funny. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. It gets funnier. Verse 35. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. (laughs) Wow. What a smart girl. She knows how to get her dad out of the room, doesn't she? Oh, dad, I'm just, oh, if you want to talk, I'm, I'm, that's fine. I'm really emotional right now. And it's just it's really not a good time. But if you want to come over here and sit next to me, we can. No, that's fine. No, that's, that's all right. You just stay put. No, no need to get up. So he searched, but did not. Find the household gods. Now, I just want you to ask yourself a question. This is really funny. Where are Laban's gods? That's pretty funny, right? Where are his gods right now? If your gods can be stolen and hidden and thrown in a camel's bag and sat on, that is not a great god. You really should get a new God. Where's my gods? Where's my gods? I hear something? No. Way of women. I'm out. It's good to laugh. You know what? Because God is mocking false gods. He is making fun of them. This reminds me of 1 Kings chapter 18 when his prophet Elijah also mocks gods. This is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. This is a great campfire story. Remember, Elijah, he's dealing with his his people or following Baal, which is a false god. He's one prophet crying alone. No one's listening to him. Saying, you guys are all wrong. And it's Elijah v. 450 prophets of Baal. And so he throws down the gauntlet with them and says, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm sick of this. Let's have a competition. Let's see whose God is the real God. And so he lays out the terms. How about this? We each build a fire. Okay, I'll, I'll build an altar. I'll put out some wood. And then I'll cry out to God. No matches. No gasoline. No lighter fluid. Okay, you do the same thing. Okay, you 450 prophets. You do it. You build your altar. Okay, and then you cry out to God. No matches. No lighter fluid. No kerosene. Nothing. And we'll see who lights the fire. Okay, we'll ask for fire to come down from heaven. Which is also another funny thing, because a lot of Christians today pray that God would send fire down from heaven. I've heard Christians pray, God, light me on fire, set your fire within me. You, you want to not pray that. You're misunderstanding fire in the Bible, right? So he says, well, let's have this competition. And so he lets them go first. He's a gentleman, right? Okay, you guys go first. And, and so they start crying out to their God, right? Oh, Namshiba, oh, Namshiba. 
It's an obscure 80s reference for some of you. Start crying out to their God, and, and what happens? Nothing. And like six hours go by. Six hours. He's just over here reading. At his altar, he's like, I'm ready. When you, whenever you guys are done, 450 of them dancing around, singing, doing whatever they can. Oh, Baal, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, nothing. And you remember what Elijah does? He mocks them. He mocks them. You're like, oh, we're not supposed to mock. We're not supposed to make fun. Oh, no, sometimes you can. This is, yeah, you should, because it's really funny. And so what does he tell them? He says, hey, guys, uh, I don't know if you're looking for advice or counsel, but maybe you guys should cry out louder. <laughs> uh, maybe I know it's been a long time and I'm, I'm feeling it's, it's getting awkward. Right? <laughs> kind of embarrassed for you. Maybe he just can't hear you. Cry out louder. And then you remember what he says? It's so funny. It's so funny. He says, hey, I wonder if your God is in the bathroom <laughs> relieving himself. <laughs> Thank you, Wesley. Right? I wonder if your God is... He says that. It's in the Bible. This is happening. He says that in the Bible. Maybe your God is relieving himself in the bathroom, and that's why he's not out here. Just give him a minute, right? Give him a minute. Or maybe he's sleeping. He fell asleep. It's been a hard day. You know, he's listening to all this incessant, you know, chanting. He's worn out. He's just he's asleep. So just yell louder, and maybe he will hear you. Just totally mocking them. And then we read this. Then he takes a stand. Okay, he makes fun of them. And then he takes a stand. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then Elijah dealt with the 450 prophets who did not represent the true God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah took a stand against the false gods and the false prophet. And now Jacob takes a stand against Laban. Verse 36. Jacob's going to get angry. Ephesians 4 says there, be angry and do not sin. There is such a thing as righteous anger. It is a rarity. It's a rarity. So don't every time we get angry say, it's righteous. Well, probably not. Is it angry over the right things? Is it angry in the right way? It's very important. Is it over the right things and it is in the right way? This is righteous anger. Okay, so quiet Jacob. I mean, we, we, He's Esau's brother, so we know the gene is in there. <laughs> so he rises up here. He rises up here and sets a glorious example 
before his wives and children. As a godly man. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. That means he is yelling at Laban. He's taking him to task, one version says. What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us too. Listen to what comes out. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction. He has suffered greatly. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Jacob confronts Laban. Both barrels. Both barrels. Takes him to task. And says, you are not going to do this any longer. Me and my household. I will serve the Lord. We're out of here. And what does he do? He, he recounts how blameless he has been under Laban. But he doesn't do that to puff up himself. He does that to point out that he is qualified to grill Laban. Laban can't come back and say, well, yeah, but you did this and you did this. And well, you were like this. And you... No, Jacob has been blameless. He's been the best worker someone could have. And Christians, this is why you want to be blameless. Is one reason why you want to be blameless. You want to be blameless so that you are qualified to bless others by confronting them. The plank speck. Remember the plank speck that Jesus talks about? Like you go to someone like, hey, there's some dust in your eye. And they're like, you have a two by four coming out of your face. You really want to talk about the dust speck? And we lose all credibility. You want to be blameless first and foremost because you're in the image of God. And you're a representative of God. And you're a witness of God. So it's before the Lord. But in terms of our relationship with others, we want to be holy. We want to be good. We want to be blameless. So that when we need to call somebody on something, we can do it. If you have friends that call you on things, you have good friends. You have good friends. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You've got a real friend when you've got someone who will go to you and say, listen, I'm watching your life. I'm not seeing good fruit. I think you're in trouble. I'm really concerned for you. You should think about this. That's a keeper. That is a good friend. But you need to be blameless in order to do that. You've got to have your own stuff together. You've got to be working out your own sanctification. You've got to be pleasing the Lord. You've got to be honoring him if you're going to have any credibility. So one of the motivations for being blameless is so that you can give others the honor and the privilege and the blessing of calling them on their sin when you see it. And this is what Jacob does. 
He's blameless. And so he lets Laban have it. And of course, Laban's tone changes. Interesting. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. (laughs) Okay, dad, this is fun. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Okay. He's gotten everything he can out of Jacob. He's afraid of Jacob. Let's get on his good side. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jager Sahuditha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. Now, this is the point where we think, oh, has Laban been converted? Because he's doing the God talk. He's making covenants. He's talking about the Lord. He says, may the Lord watch over you and me. But if you read carefully and listen carefully, what Laban is doing is saying, may your God keep an eye on you, Jacob. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm trustworthy. I'm honorable. I'll stay on my side. But if you cross over and harm me, may your God smoke you. This is not a benediction. This is a malediction. It's may God come after you and curse you and do harm to you if you do harm to me. That's really what Laban is saying. But it's tricky because he's tricky. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, right? Because he's real concerned about polygamy. (laughs) Although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness. This is all just self-righteousness that I will not pass over the heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Laban never sees him again. And we never hear about Laban again. Good riddance. Good riddance, Laban. When it comes down to it, am I going to repent? Am I going to turn from this? Am I going to make things right between my daughters and my grandchildren? Or am I going to give them a kiss goodbye and say, see you never? He goes with see you never. And he sends them off on their way and goes his own way. Henry Morris says, Laban is an unfortunate example of a worldly, covetous man, one who knows nothing about the true God, and to whom a thorough witness has been given. He had seen the reality of God in the life of Jacob. He himself had even enjoyed many of the blessings of God through his relationship to Jacob. He's like those that Hebrews 6 talks about, that that they're so close and they get all this enlightenment and all this fruit, and they've been so blessed and they still turn away from God. Nevertheless, he continued in idolatry seeking material gain for himself to the exclusion of all other considerations rather than seeking to follow the truth of God's plan as witnessed by Jacob. He merely resented and coveted the blessing of God on Jacob. He finally ended up with neither. His life constitutes a sober warning to a great host of semi-religious 
but fundamentally self-worshipping and self-seeking men and women today. And then there's godly Jacob. And now here stands Jacob, refined by many fires at this point. He's been through some furnaces. And now here stands Jacob with his family. And his face is now set resolutely on God. He's got home before him. He's got his God before him. He has the world behind him, his family beside him. Resolve to honor and obey the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us insight into the life of Jacob and the life of Laban and for giving us great insight into the reason for the differences, namely your good work in Jacob. God, thank you for loving our father Jacob. Thank you for choosing and saving our father Jacob. Thank you for for taking a, a, a passive, ungodly, weak man and giving him a great measure of faith so that he would come to love you and honor you and so that we may have hope that we would continue to honor and love you. God, I pray that as you were a great and gracious and miraculous God to Jacob, that you would continue that good work in us today. And I pray that if there are those listening now who do not love you and do not know you, that they would be overwhelmed with the truth of who you are and the hatred in their hearts would turn to love and the resistance in their heart would turn to affection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.